Can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she wouldn't give you any money to go. And that's why movies we missed. Hey, hey, hey. And welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I'm your host, Brandon Greenhouse, alongside my lovely co-host, Jane Francesca Hammer. And um, we're ready to get into it. But before we do, I do want to take a moment. And I want to remind you that if you want to find us on the interwebs in social media land, you can find us on Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook at Movies We Missed. Um, Jane... How are you doing this evening? It's been a while since I've seen you. You're in a nice, uh, soft pink hoodie. Um, you got your hair pulled back in mm. this sort of devil may care bun. Um, and you've got your kitty cat glasses on. You look like you're in for the night. And <laughs> she and is. She's it in is, for the night. <laughs> it is 6.24 p.m. on a Wednesday. You think they've got plans after this, baby boy? Absolutely. And nor does no. she have plans on the weekend. <laughs> so <this laughs> Except sort of I'm, I'm going to see your ass on the weekend. So how dare you? You seeing me on the weekend? I got to talk to my assistant, Crystal. Because yeah, I got to see yeah. what's going on. I haven't looked at my... um. Chrysalis has been fucking up your books recently. Because going, going through she's going stuff. through it, a <laughs> change, right yeah. <laughs> emotionally, emotionally, there's a lot that's going on. She's juggling a lot of responsibilities. My fame has never been at like a higher level right now. So she's I'd now... love to know, and this is just for like uh, me and the listeners. What it? What are is Crystal? Oh, of course, and you would never claim to be anything else. What are Chrysalis's, um your assistant? What are her main responsibilities for? Um, what, what is it? You know, we have a no, no, no. I'd have... love to know what is. Oh, we have a Chemex, and um, okay, I the always... pour over the pour over coffee joint, right? No, the record player. Yeah, the pour over coffee joint. I'm, I, I... Some people don't do pour over coffee. I'm explaining for our listeners. How dare really? you? There How are dare you? Who don't do pour over coffee? I'm doing a I'm doing an incredible job hosting this podcast by explaining by by being an empathetic host and understanding that some people who listen might not know what pour over coffee is. You've been a you've been a serviceable guest host, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I want to just like let's keep things in context. I um yeah, w- coffee beans in the morning, I need my coffee beans ground by hand because I what okay. machines do funnily enough, it's a little too coarse for me. It's crude. Um, so okay. usually she's up with the mortar and pest in the morning, or she'll just get two rocks and just bean by bean, bean by bean, smash them together to get them ready for the You don't even let her use one of those hand grinders where you spin manually with your I'd rather hands. not, you know. Okay. It's one of those situations. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so once she sort of takes the stones and she smashes them together repeatedly until she's got enough coffee um, mm. to satisfy me, um, you know, she's on the bog. She's on my blog. She's she's doing that. She's looking at the books. She's. Do you want to plug your blog right now? The just the the website. I don't want to get into it right now at this <clears> moment. <throat> oh, okay. I thought you were an open book. I thought we started this as you being an open book. I'm just. It's not about me. It's not about I'm me being checking. an open book or not being an open. I'm just checking because normally <laughs> when people have a blog, and I this I I don't know. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. You don't. I do. I, you don't know. I, okay. So you said one thing that's true. 
You don't okay. know what it's like. <laughs> I do, and I have to, I do want to follow this up that I do work in marketing. Um, a blog is for something that you want to get out to the public, but th- but yours is different. I'd love to hear how. Well, my blog's got a lot going on, okay? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd love to know the focus. I'm building, of your okay. Blog. You done? <laughs> I'm building a lifestyle brand, okay? Okay. A lot What's of people, one of, my, one of the number one, hold on. <laughs> the number one thing that I get asked by people. Okay. Okay, well, number one is your skincare uh, routine. But after skincare routine, the next thing okay. that I'm always getting asked by people, and that's on there, by the way. I'm working on skincare products right now with. Um, okay. Gwyneth Paltrow. We're doing something, a more urban version of Goop. It's going to be called Boop because it's like a black Goop. <laughs> boop. Boop. So we're doing that and we've got a lot of stuff in the works there. I get asked a lot about that. I get asked a lot about when people see my cats, like you see my cat in, right now uh, passed out behind Your me. animals. Like, Your animals. My animals. When people, when people ask me about my animals, you know, they see them and they're like, well, their coat's so lovely. I'm working on a, uh, a luxury brand for like... For like dogs and for cats and chinchillas. Strangely enough, that's really a, the food that we're a focusing food on. brand or what? no the skin fur like all about keeping it lush. So and like a fur lotion, a fur sure. lotion okay. for sure is the name of it. Um, for sure, and it's a lotion product that you rub. It's on a fur. sheen. It's an oil. It's all oh, natural. It's an oil. Okay, it's all natural adjacent. Um, so would you call yourself there. sort of like a snake oil salesman? Um, no, that's more you. Um, hey, I didn't right? say I had anything for sale, baby. But you're yeah. talking about there's an oil that you you make for yeah, animals. Yeah, it's all it's all organic you're... or organic adjacent. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get the shine completely. So is there okay. a little bit of petrol? Um, like byproduct sort of. Because oh, you're such a, so you're such a gearhead. You have quick access to petrol. Ah, so in order I see to what add... you're trying to do. That's not why, though. That's oh, not why, okay. though. Okay, okay. So I got that going on. I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm also selling kettle corn now. So um, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. actually in the middle of an overhaul, which is why I didn't give the blog, because it crashed before. Um, okay, so as, as Chrysalis is, she's she's writing all your blog posts and creating all she's the content doing, She's writing there. the code. She's writing the code, mama. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So she's building it from scratch right now. Okay. And, you know, she's dealing with... Dave, a lot of times she's sort of the intermediary between me and him in the morning. I can't handle all that. Okay. So she'll sometimes relay messages back and forth to me, old school style. We have a can with a string on it, kind of oh, like when okay. you were kids. And she'll just sort of like tap on it with one of those rocks that she uses to smash the coffee beans together and just let me know, like, Mr. is asking. And I'm <laughs> like, well, Mr. can keep asking, Chrysalis. I'm not not ready for that yet (laughs) um so she does a lot of stuff around here and she also feels messages from you as you probably know um yeah and you know we'll maybe talk offline about this but um i don't know if it's chrysalis or if it's you to be honest but i'm not getting a a, a lot of response um yeah you're getting enough though you're getting enough i think um I, i feel comfortable with what you're getting um and speaking of old school communication I'd okay. love to talk. I'd love to pivot because I think we've gotten what Chrysalis does, which is basically baby you all day for your little baby. So I'd the love to The thing about you boomers <laughs> is that you all <laughs> think that you have this understanding mm. of what's going on with the young folks. Mm. And speaking of boomers, what about Boom. a movie that was made by boomers in 1960? Called what? the apartment. 
First of all, what do you mean made by boomers? Boomers were were boomers were like boomers could have been in their twenties when this was going on because it started. Maybe, maybe they were interns on set. This movie was made. This is a, from nineteen sixty. <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Do I not will send you to jail. Do, but and never. Ever count on me to do any kind of math. <laughs> and it's fine. It is absolutely fine. We do have the... I think these are... Des- these are actually, I think, technically... Uh, I think the youngest people would have probably been, like... Would have, like, been, like, born in the 1940s. Would have been, like, traditionalists, right? I guess... I guess... Is that the generation before boomers? Is that I think that's what they're called. Traditionalists. Okay. Okay. I guess I just have never known what the older generation before boomers was called, to be honest with you. And when do we start? When do we start naming generations? Is every generation yeah. named? It's yeah, the traditional generation. Okay. Um, I don't know what it is before the traditionalists, honestly. Well, that's somebody else's job, you know. We could look that up. Yeah. Anyway, that's what we're dealing with here. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is the movie. Although you know, what's really funny now that we're talking about this whole generational thing. I mean, some mm. of the people. Um, some of the people in this movie were actually technically the generation before traditionalists. So really, yeah. I guess I. It, how long is a generation generally? Like how it, many years? I think it depends. Band? I think that like it depends on the generation. Do you know what I mean? Like not every generation is the same length of time. So I don't well, think it's like a set amount of time. I think sometimes it's cultural. Well, sort I of just like, I just yeah. googled it. And it, okay. I said, how long does a generation last? And it says 30 years. So a generation refers to all people born and living at about the same time regarded collectively. It can also be described as the average period generally considered to be about 20 to 30 years during which children are born and grow up, become adults and begin to have children. So about between 20 and 30 years, it sounds like, according to our friend Wikipedia, which is the law, actually. Ooh, okay. Well, yeah. Jane's spoken. <laughs> it's interesting. It seems to be broken down. Okay, what I'm seeing on my end is we see we, what I'm seeing is what I what I thought of as like the sort of um, traditionalists seems to be the turned by some as like the greatest generation, and and then the generation like end uh, of the 19th century <clears throat> into the early 20th century, late 1880 or early 1880s into the early 1900s is. There's the lost generation, but there seems to be like debate uh, about these categorizations and these names. Uh, mm. But yeah, uh, but this movie, I mean, we're, we've got people across the board in this one. This is from 1960. I gave Jane the apartment. It is. I think. I think I'm right in saying this. Um, it is the first uh, Best Picture Academy Award winner that I think we have reviewed on this Ooh, podcast. This, I that I don't know, but I would believe it for sure. I think it is. I think this is our first. Considering um, our, our general collection of movies we've done, hey, which are all very good in their own right. And an Oscar doesn't necessarily make a movie good or not, but yes. No, but you know, it is worth noting. Mm-hmm. Um, Holiday in Handcuffs is probably the closest. I, I would say, yeah. this one as far as accolades go, I'd say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right behind it. We, um, no, we, we go across, the thing I love about our podcast is there are some podcasts, this isn't, and I'm no shade to any other podcast, but no. our listeners out here know, there are some podcasts that they just review terrible movies. There are some podcasts mm-hmm. that just review amazing films. And what I love about our podcast is that we do a little bit of everything. And even if a yeah. movie isn't, isn't from like a cultural perspective considered amazing, if we love it for some reason, uh, and our criteria is very different, you know, mm-hmm. if we love it, then, you know. 
it is uh it is worthy of being seen if we love it it's a good movie and i'm gonna say it right here and right now let him know let Mm -hmm. him know and so yeah you're gonna get academy award winners here and you're gonna get razzie award winners here exactly and you're gonna enjoy them just the same and i think that's actually interesting an interesting thing because it's like we have so many movies that we love so much for so many different reasons Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always fall under like this is the most intellectual movie or this made me feel you know so intensely about the state of the world or whatever and like sometimes like a movie is just pure entertainment just makes you feel good or you know has people in it that are like comforting to you you know what i mean so and uh this movie was definitely that it is uh it is our second shirley mclean film which is it sure is Um, if you guys haven't listened to our first one it was called what a way to go and you can find it in our list of many many movies it's really good you should watch that one speaking of that movie wasn't that well received but i fucking loved that movie that was a that was a fabulous film and Mm -hmm. i like that we're getting another opportunity to see uh, miss mclean in action she's one of my favorite actresses and she's an absolute delight in this film alongside jack lemon directed by Mm -hmm. the icon the legend billy wilder who Mm. um well you know what i'm gonna get into all of that i'm gonna go into the synopsis and then and then we're gonna dive into the episode so sounds good here we go cc baxter is the office lackey at an insurance adjustment company your standard tier employee who does what it takes to get by and gain favor with the company upper brass you know the standard things coming in early working late putting in full days even when he's sick letting them use his apartment as a rent-by-the-hour motel to partake in fun time with their respective mistresses. No need to adjust your radios. I said what I said. Baxter has been allowing execs at his company to take turns using his pad as a bachelor's oasis to seduce their gal pals while their wives toil away in the suburbs of New York. These guys are relentless. And based on how difficult Baxter finds rebuffing their advances, I gotta imagine these gal pals are dealing with some eager beavers. Their single-minded pursuit of Baxter's apartment is so intense that Baxter has to pencil in his own evenings at his humble abode. Word is also spreading in the office about the arrangement he's brokered with several execs. So much so that when Baxter's manager, Mr. Sheldray, catches wind of Chateau CC, he wants his turn. Baxter agrees to let him use the place to meet up with his girlfriend as well. The only problem? Sheldrake's gal pal is Fran Kublik the wide-eyed elevator operator that Baxter happens to have eyes for. Will she fall for the charms of the adulterous CEO? Or will she wise up before it's too late and pick the sweet and bashful Baxter? Conversely, will Cece change the locks to his apartment and give Fran Kublik the key to his heart? Hopefully, he gives this parade of philanderers their eviction notices. Because there is only room for one love affair at the apartment. Yeah, was a, that was a great one. And I really appreciate how you worked in the term eager beaver, because I didn't think we'd be able to I, say that at well, all. You have, well, you have it trademarked, and I know. And I know about your I OnlyFans. Do. And so mm-hmm. um, I did want to add it in, because yeah. I thought that... It was um it was worth You actually yeah, you actually will be hearing from my people just in terms of payment for um using the name, but absolutely I love that you used it, you know. Yeah, and your people will be hearing from my people. So it's just gonna be a, it's gonna be a people's place, basically. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Which is also trademarked and mm. you know, under an umbrella of stuff that I'm 
in talks, you know, about You're just a part of. owning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was the movie. This movie was released on June 15th, 1960. Uh, we are going to be, just so you all know, we are going to be uh, referring to uh, inflation a little bit here, just to sort of like make sense of some of the stuff mm. going on, you know, give you a little context. But this movie was made on a budget of $3 million, which is the equivalent of about $30 million today. And it made about 24.6 mil at that box office, which is about $240 million today. So damn, um, it so made its money. It was a hit, and I do want to really quickly. We already yeah. said it doesn't; these things don't really matter. But it is worth noting just to give you context before we dive into this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie it is in the official top two hundred and fifty uh, narrative feature films on Letterboxd. Um, it's included in the one thousand and one movies that you must see before you die. Uh, it is number 80 currently on AFI's 100 Greatest Films, uh, Greatest American Films. It is number 50 on AFI's Funniest American Movies list. And it is the first film to win, uh, where Billy Wilder is the first person to win Best Picture, Best Screenplay, and Best Director um, at the Academy Awards, all in wow. one go for a movie. And it's also the first film to win the BAFTA, the Oscar, and the Golden Globe, all, well, Best Picture, but then the Golden Globe, uh, Best a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Uh so it is a first um, wow. for many. So it is a very like highly like you know um, highly regarded film, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really interesting when you think about all of that, and then you see the. I mean, the thing that sort of was a takeaway for me with this film because this was this was my first time seeing this film too, Jane. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought no, you'd seen is, it. No, no, no. Oh, this was my first time okay. seeing this one too, and <gasps> I had and I've been wanting to see it. Interesting. I've been wanting okay. to see it forever because I love, love, love Shirley MacLaine, and I love, love, love of Jack course. Lemmon. Yeah, and Icons. I, yeah, and so I picked this movie for several reasons. One of them was because it, it was a great movie to take us into everybody listening the New Year's. Um, mm-hmm. It ushered us in perfectly. It had a little sprinkling of Christmas in there, and it ended on this really lovely note on New Year's, the promise of mm-hmm. new beginnings. Um, and uh, I thought, what a more fabulous way for us to begin our next year of the podcast. I was just doing, going, the wheels were just turning in my head. Mm-hmm. We're not at our year anniversary yet. No, 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 no. Our okay. Oh no, we've so. been no, no, no. We've been doing this for over a year. Yeah, we've been doing this for over a year. So um, did we start in twenty twenty one? We did. Yeah, you're right. But we started in like I think we started in like February maybe of twenty twenty one. So like in February of twenty twenty three, I think will be like our recording. Like we're coming two up. Year. So we're we're coming up yeah. on two years of doing this podcast. That Which is, is crazy. crazy. I had no idea. Um, but I did want to say, and I am correct. Then this is the movie that's ushering us into year three of our podcast. So mm-hmm. how um how fabulous uh yeah i i love that i love that and i love the new beginnings like and that this this movie has such a like for me the really significant part of this movie just as a person watching this movie for the first time in 2022 although by the time y'all hear this it will be 2023 is a uh, the 
the transformation that I think Jack Lemmon and Shirley McLean go through and like the exciting new, as you said, new beginning at the end. That to me was the best part of this movie because I was like, I understand at the time when this came out, the subject matter must have been so taboo and so controversial and caused so many conversations. And so that is really exciting to view that and know that like what, you know what old biddies were you know their hackles were up while watching this movie and just furious about you know exposing like the intense um <clears throat> the intense like cronyism of corporate america and like how you don't have to you know you don't have to be good to move your way up quickly you just have to do favors and whatever maybe cronyism isn't the right word i don't actually know i know I mean. no but it but it is it, it is perfect though yeah and so it's um that and then also obviously the exposing of like how many people particularly men who are, are working in the office are like totally comfortable with having extramarital affairs and you know making mockeries of their wedding vows and um, also this just popped into my head i mm -hmm. do want to go ahead we, we will make sure that we put in the descriptor for this episode um as well but just trigger warning that i mean which is so funny to think that it's a movie from 1960 starring Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon with a trigger warning. But we are going to, you know, there's going to be a trigger warning for uh, suicide as something that is uh, dealt with in the film. And we'll make sure that we address that. Although, as I say that, I think, have we ever addressed any of these things no, before? No, we haven't. We always okay. say, like, I think the thing, I think it's difficult for us because, like, there are so many things within the movies that we talk yes. about that could be considered trigger warnings. And I think, you know, the fact that this is listed as an explicit podcast and, like, we have, you know, the movies that we cover are movies that are out there and hopefully people know or can look up before they choose to listen to an episode and see, you know, what the discussion will probably um, focus on. I think we have moments where we say, like, this is something that we're going to talk about and it might be difficult, particularly for really, really intense things. But no, we haven't been great about putting trigger warnings and everything. I think, like, the first thing we did was, like, we put, like, a... <laughs> a trigger warning for like a twilight episode or something like that because there was like for bad movies yeah i think so <laughs> um, no i don't know but yeah that's a whole other that may have also hole. been or was it for a lip biting for uh, kristen stewart uh, for that's for over intense lip biting because you might get too turned on yeah mm -hmm. i love that disgusting asmr you're giving us right now you're like my own personal brain heroin how do i get enough of you why do you make it all at the same time? <laughs> Why do you make it sound like like porn audio? That's what it is like. Okay. <laughs> He's you don't think so? But then again, you're but you're such a patty. You're such a patty head that you probably don't even <laughs> Anyways, um, but we yeah. digress. We digress. This movie, yes. I mean, we're dealing with like a person who one of the first things that was really interesting about this movie is the director Billy Wilder. He directed this movie. He directed uh, other movies that we're definitely covering in the podcast at some point. Some like it hot, gentlemen prefer blondes. Um, mm -hmm. keep Jane, keep your just keep your uh, keep your your uh, your eyes uh, your eyes moving and and up and at them because that one's coming real soon. I'll give you a little. Okay. That one. Um, okay. 
And and hey, and maybe it'll be after you've had your roots touched up, so then it'll all it'll make sense. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say something about this. I literally have a hair appointment tomorrow, and I thought before we logged on, I was like, Brandon's gonna clown me about my fucking roots tonight. Actually, here's color. a here's a compliment that I will give you. Honestly, okay, you wear dark roots so well, and I and it Thank always you. looks very intentional when you when you have dark roots, and I don't ever really think about it mm-hmm. because even when you're at the point where you're like, oh my god, I have to get my my hair, blah blah blah. I, always just think oh i would have never like noticed because it they you they look so good on you thank you i do feel like it's because like i do you know it's there's a i like some of them but like i I like having some roots i don't think it's a bad look but there's a certain point that comes to like when it's like time to get my hair done where i'm like i cannot believe how bad my roots are i want to stick my head in the oven i in the in um in what am I trying to say? Oh, I was going to say, in the words of Lisa Kudrow and Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, you look so good. With, you look so good with blonde hair and dark roots. It's like not funny. <laughs> um, that's when they're at the prom dancing together. Yes. Oh, and she's dressed that. up like in that Madonna. Yes. I, like, I would love for us to do that podcast on uh, that movie on this podcast. Here's, but... This is what I this is what I, I want to do. I want to do a, a series of like. Like the opposite of movies we missed. I want to do a series that's literally like movies that we've seen so many times and we love. I, right. I would love to do Romy Michelle. I would. I really Me want to too. do the Bodyguard. Oh my god, I would love to do the Bodyguard. Maybe when we set up our Patreon someday. Armando. His name is Armando, and I met him at a bar. Um, Rachel's sister. Um, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I really want to go off on that, but we won't. We are we won't sticking do it. to the apartment. Um, you could have killed him, farmer. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so many good lines from that fucking movie. Oh, so many good ones. Um, okay. okay, so we're here. So yeah, so there's a lot of really cool things happening with this movie just because it's the first of so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that like, so initially like Wilder wanted to make this movie and he was inspired to make this movie mm. uh, because of another film. I think he was inspired, he was well, inspired to make this movie because of uh, uh, Noel Coward, a Noel play. Coward play, brief That's encounter. That's what I thought too. Yeah, but like, well, it it was a movie that was based on a one act on a one act play by Noel Coward from like nineteen thirty okay. something, uh, called Still Life. But that he couldn't do it because of the Hayes, uh, production code, which like for which was like the production code that was used in in um in Hollywood, and it was just like basically like industry rules I've never heard of it for like um censoring certain content um, <gasps> interesting so it, you like what, couldn't what was it called the hate the haze production rules yeah yeah like the haze code and it was like oh the like haze you had code. to adhere okay. to these to these production rules basically but it was like there were certain things you couldn't have and i think that the issue was just like that it was about like an affair um and it looks like it was um it was imposed in 1934 and was lifted in 1968 Mm -hmm. which is interesting because this movie came out in 1960 i mean this was a little bit after the fact and i don't know if if maybe like a couple of decades later it wasn't quite because i would say this movie sometimes when you get into like when you start watching older films there's certain things that are like intimated but like never actually spoken but i'd say in this movie Mm -hmm. it's pretty like apparent what's going on in a way that's kind of surprising like 
for like for like a modern person watching this movie to look back on and think, whoa, there's a lot of like subject matter that's happening. And I and I have to imagine, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but like sort of like the critical like feedback or whatever, like Mm -hmm. about a movie like this, because maybe I, I have a feeling this must have been one of those sort of like envelope pushing movies that like the kids were telling their parents that they were going, you know, to the the theater to see the, you know, the Ten Commandments or whatever, mm-hmm. and then slipping into this one. Because I'm sure it was like a really big deal to have a movie, like a major motion picture that was dealing with issues of like extramarital affairs and like, you know, suicide and things like that. And I'm sure that like, you know, and also like the fact that like, the girl who partakes in like an affair and also, you know, um, an, an, has an attempt of attempts to unalive herself, like w- wins in the end. You know what I mean? It's not the story of her being sort of eternally damned. It's the story of her finding like love and affirmation, which must have also been very like, because so much of this is tied to like through puritanical like religion and like right and I she's got to like, die at the end horribly so we can tell our daughters and our sons this is what like, happens and like everything has to be a cautionary tale and I think like what's interesting about that and what's interesting about this haze code that I just heard about and just like a moral code in general when people are making movies like there is a. Uh, there is this huff and puff about I can't believe you would make a movie about this subject like how dare you but like what can you what can you really say when all you're doing is holding up a mirror and saying this is who we are as a society this is what we do this is what we do in the shadows this is what you gossip about over you know martinis with your friends at lunch why can't we make a movie about this why can't we talk about this on a public level when this is happening you know people you know dying by suicide or attempting to die by suicide people you know particularly men stepping out on their wives and not having you know having multiple affairs strings of affairs and expecting their wives to remain faithful to them like all of that kind of stuff. I don't understand where the hubbub comes from. If this is happening, why can't we talk about it? No, I mean, I think that's a really, like, valid point. I also think that, like, it's the the fact that, like, we have, like, this female heroine who is imperfect in a lot of ways. And which, in and of itself, like, an imperfect female heroine is not unusual even for 1960 for films. But the ways in which she is imperfect <laughs> and the fact that she isn't ultimately punished for it eternally for being imperfect i think is interesting and i think that like also sort of like giving us this sort of like um this really like human perspective on like her struggles and like what it means sort of to have this movie that's dealing with like the complexities of uh of affairs and like what it means for like a young woman because it's like One of the things that I found really interesting about this movie, um, and I was actually thinking about a little bit, not that there's a way to sort of like place a value on, on what, on what deems, you know, what, what deems, uh, what's, what's deemed by a human being as like, is like, is like worthy of sending one down like some sort, like down like this sort of emotional like rabbit rabbit hole or into like a kind of like upheaval like we see and i and i found myself thinking you know we 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 find out there's a scene fred mcmurray of uh my three sons fame um also starred in billy wilder's uh double indemnity in like 1940 he plays um he plays sheldrake he's the boss Mm -hmm. of jack lemon's character um 
And it's interesting because he spoke about, you know, how he was so scared to take this part because the only other part he'd ever played that was a nefarious sort of man whose morals are questionable is the part that he played in Double Indemnity. And so he was really nervous about doing this part. And he talked about how, like, after doing this film, like, women would just come up to him on the street and yell at him because of the part he played in the movie. And, like, hit them with their purses and stuff. And he actually regretted it after, like, doing it initially. And, like, it's so... that It tells you a lot about, like, the, you know, the morals of the time. And probably just, like, um, casting, too. It's just fear, yeah. like, am I going to be am I gonna be typecast as, like, you know, well, it's also, the Tomcats and... It's, well, it's also wild that people on the street couldn't divorce an actor from a character that they played and then, like, physically assault them on the street and, like, be like, you're a horrible person. Because, no doubt, Mr. Shel- Sheldrake is the fucking villain in this story. He is a t- terrible person and does a lot of terrible things with a fucking smile on his face and, you know, a $100 bill in his hand. And it's it's those characters exist in real life but you know obviously to play one is a risk at this time to be fair i will i will share um that my mother still hates danny glover because of the color purple to this day and she she finds it very difficult to watch danny glover films and that has been the case since i was a little boy and i remember like lethal weapon being on and my mother being like, I can't, I can't. Not for me, not bitch. for me. And I was like, huh? And is there anybody like, like that for you? An actor who's played a role that is so, hmm, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm trying to think like recently, like in a film, like an actor that has given a performance that like, you know, you know, this isn't, this isn't the case for me that this person that this person that I hate this person, but a performance, sometimes it happens when it's your first time seeing an actor in something mm-hmm. and it's sort of, but it's very impactful. And it like, and I talk about this performance a lot just because I think it is such a fine performance by an actor, but Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, like mm. it made it kind of difficult for me to see Rosamund Pike in other roles because she was so fucking good in that movie. I and couldn't believe that performance in that movie. That was because it doesn't I get didn't... talked about enough. And I don't it want to d- say that about like white people doing anything, but like <laughs> honest and truly, because white people get their flowers typically. But I, but that is one of those performances <laughs> that like it it is so. It is so good. It is so good, and it is just like it's hard it for me to me see her in other things now. To think about it, it gives me goosebumps really to think about. Like I remember because I didn't read the book. Um, I had started to read the book um, before the movie came out because everyone was like, "This book is so good. You have to read the book." And I started reading it, and I think I got through the first 30 pages of something like that. And I was like, I'm not really interested in this. This is like some like rich straight people in the suburbs. Like, I don't care. Like I, 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 it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And so I like stopped reading it. And then when the movie came out, I was like, all right, like people are obsessed with this. I'll go, I, I can go see the movie at least. And that like switch. And by the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, sh- whatever. It, <laughs> It's yeah, so. <laughs> this whole podcast is a spoiler alert, so like we can't we can't help you on that front. But um, when she switches from you know tell from who you think she is to who she really is, that like there was a change in her entire like aura, body, energy. Like I am still blown away by that. And 
when I think about it, I just think, fuck, that's not a performance that people talk about a lot. You're right. It's a really good one. I I would say that like another one like that was Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. I haven't that seen was... it. Oh, you've never seen that? Oh Mm-mm. shit, we should add we gotta add that to the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one of those performances that like it sort of like sticks with you for a long time. Also, mm-hmm. giving my girl her giving my girl her flowers, uh Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction is one of those performances. Oh I, yeah. I can I can see beyond that, but like that is have you ever seen that Fatal Attraction? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I That's um, a great movie. That's an amazing movie. Yeah. Um, and I almost gave it to you. Um, and so I'm happy to know that I almost gave it to you as one of my almost Halloween movies, but I was going to have a whole conversation about how it's not necessarily like a Halloween movie for the reasons Mm -hmm. that people think it is because it's basically just her standing up to like a man who's like mistreated her. Um, yeah. Uh, but like, but those are like those kind of performances that like sear into your mind. So I don't think it's necessarily like a person being so evil that I can think of. Oh, but I don't know. Monique and Precious is another one. Like, there are those performances that oh. are, like, they they oh. really do, like, you carry them with you in a certain way. Totally. Um, and I but think it I makes think, it hard for people. I, I, de- I definitely think it makes it hard for people. I think, I, I think maybe you and I are coming at it from a different angle than maybe, like, someone else might, where it's like, we are just so in awe of the incredible performance that, like, it actually makes me, like, more interested in that actor and, like, when someone plays, like, a really horrible, uh, or a character that does really horrible things and does it really well and really convincingly, I'm like, I am interested in that person. I want to see more of what they do. But I do agree with you that, like, sometimes... And I can only imagine for, like, 1960 when it's, like... When you think about the way information was funneled and the way that, like, you know, media and film was, like, sold to you during that time period, it was, like, you didn't have, like, this sort of inundation of, like, things. So I'm sure, like, to have a massive movie and to be a movie star in, like, 1960, like, the thing that you did that's in theaters is, like, the thing that everybody's going to go see. And so it's, like... To be in a hit movie where you play, like, the quote-unquote bad guy during that time period. And not a bad guy, like, in terms of, like, a movie villain who's twirling their mustaches, but, like, a bad guy in terms of, like, you know, this character who is, like, leveraging, like, their, like, their power within a company to um, the detriment of, like, the multiple female employees and, I mean, and Mm -hmm. male employees as well. Like, that power building and, like, seeing the ways that it actually, like, man, I think that's the thing that's unique about this film is seeing the ways that, like, we have a, we have a humanist like we we have this very like human young woman you know mm-hmm. we we can see ourselves in and then we are and hopeful and wide eyed and sweet mm-hmm. and, but very smart and shrewd like but we can see ourselves in her and I think that seeing sort of like this relationship that's leading nowhere and like that moment the moment that stuck with me the second viewing of the scene was the moment when they are I'm at the Cantonese restaurant when she meets mm-hmm. up with Sheldrake he invites her out to this restaurant at this point we kind of know that like Jack Lemmon's um, character of um, CeCe Baxter is kind of sweet on her and we know that he's letting some of these um, ex- higher ups use his apartment for in particular at this point uh, but then we have this moment we've seen him sort of getting on and off the elevator and his really sweet sort of like quick banter back and forth tete-a-tete style so, so with, cute um, I loved Fran. their their chemistry with um, CeCe Baxter and Fran just chatting it up on the elevator so Fran Fran is an elevator operator at the um, at the at the 
at the big company and like we see that but then we also find out quickly we know he asked her out on a date to go see the music man which was it's really funny to think about the music man being the hot new musical i know hilarious it had one like i mean i think it won the tony for best musical like a couple years before this so it's like you know a, a really big staple and at the time it probably you know I don't know, would have been the equivalent of like, hey, you want to go see Hamilton? Um, but like, <laughs> the, not even, something else now. Uh, but know. yeah, but it's like, he invites her out. She ends up going out with Mr. Sheldrake, who's just asked, um, who's just asked Cece to be brought in on sort of like this group of this collective of cohort of men who have key, who, who get to use the keys to his apartment to shack up um, with their... Um, the ladies that they have in the city, you know, and, but we have this moment with her where she says to him, you know, I've just sort of gotten over, like, I've just gotten over this. Like, I've just sort of worked my way through whatever it was that we had before when your wife was on vacation and like, we got in our thing. Like, I'm trying to basically like move on from this. And it's like, you see him actively manipulating, trying to pull her back into like, this thing and also like i mean if we want to look at the actors i mean we're, we're dealing with like fred mcmurray this i mean who was 52 at the time and shirley mcclain literally 26 so it's like you've also got like the dynamic of this man um and i'm using those ages as references to the characters i mean we can glean so it's like but you've got this man who's like twice the age of this young girl in this position of power at this company and he's will i mean he's wielding it and he's using that and it's 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 the promise of everything that he represents and she's sort of pulled into it and you understand like how in 19 in 1960s i mean i'm sure like what looked like success was very limited and Mm -hmm. what looked like an opportunity for love you know uh I can only imagine how many young women working in, you know, these secretarial jobs or like as jobs as elevator operators or whatever at these companies were pulled in by these, you know, these men in these nice business suits who, you know, are, you know, appear to be sort of like upper crust of the office and they yeah. they offer he was a, you He was in a director a directorial position yeah. in a huge company um throwing around money throwing around you know fun times in the city throwing around fun time in the sack apparently um and that is attractive when someone like that shows interest to you also when you are a person a woman in 1960 who really has no power someone with a lot of power can seem really attractive i mean even now power is attractive if it's wielded properly i mean this tale this tale is is as old as old as time yeah very much still like still being played out actively but yeah 100 percent. and and mr sheldrick knows that and he is like i mean this is just like it's funny because we we think about all of the things that we have in place now which were absolutely not available and and by the way a not enough things in place right now to begin with to to make sort of you know um for gender equity within the workplace and how far we've come from what we had which was nothing and you see you know what what the choices were for women like um like shirley mcclain's character her name is escaping me right now fran Um, fran uh You know, she said that she went to secretarial school and she was great at typing, but horrible at spelling. So they gave her a job as an elevator operator. And it's like, 
you either have that or the ability to be a secretary, which you already didn't like pass a typing test because of that. So it's like, you have nothing. What you need is uh, you have to marry well in order to live well, because there are no opportunities for you to live well on your own as a woman in nineteen sixty. Oh, for sure. And, and like, let's be clear also about the fact that like, it is, this is also happening on the promise of the thing that's going to happen, which is him leaving his wife. That oh, so, so that's a huge yeah, part yeah. of it as well is like, she's definitely like also being pulled in by like this sort of false hope that like, she is going to in some way supplant like his wife and like move into like this sort of like domestic realm. So it's not simply a matter of like, you are having fun and this person's throwing money at you and this person is uh, is you're enjoying being around them, but it's also a very specific promise of like a future together that is tied to all well, of this. Well, and well. it's from him directly. He tells yeah. her at this Chinese restaurant where they're sitting in the back booth, which is his favorite spot, um, having cocktails, and he's you know pouring honey into her ear, saying, "I'm going to leave my wife, and it's all about you, and I've never met anybody like you, and blah blah blah." And you know we just got to get through a couple of things, and then she's Gonsville, which is like so ridiculous because in 1960, like people didn't really get divorced. Like it was hugely, hugely taboo. So it was like this guy who like, again, like, and when you participate in one of those societal taboos, you can lose more, you know, even if you are a man with power. And like, if he were to participate in his own divorce, like he could lose a lot of his power. He could possibly, I don't know, um, fall out with a company, not necessarily be in the same position that he's in. I, you know, I mean, there's no fucking rules. <laughs> like, no, I mean, and there are like, I mean, there's like morality, there's morality, you know, clauses and things. Although to be, I mean, as we all know, this stuff is like, you know, was, was a lot more widely wielded obviously at women mm-hmm. than it was of at course, men during these course. times like men were allowed yeah, yeah, to yeah. sort of tomcat and you know be be sort of like good time johnny and the women were sort of like like lived or died by their reputations so it's like there's a lot of reasons why this is a really like complicated position and why she is extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. <laughs> like in this movie yeah. for like for so many reasons and so it's really interesting to watch it like 60 plus years later with like our you know very specific sort of like perspectives on like this world because it's like yeah this like this young girl is is pulled into it and i mean he, what sheldrake is doing we see sort of like i mean it's 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 presented to us in this sort of like comedic way but as all of this is happening before we even get here we've got like jack lemon's character of cc baxter sort of like juggling this ap- this apartment key because apparently it's not easy to get keys copied in 1960 so he's i know his- i was like why doesn't he have more copies of this damn key i understand it is- it's for comedic relief but i was yeah. like oh my god get make 10 copies they must cost one cent at the also, Dollar at store. this point, it's like y'all should store. all just have copies, and every you just come over when you want to come over, and who's there? Exactly, there. exactly. Because it, it's like these these four. It's the mainly the four the four gentlemen who are sort of like switching off using the apartment, and they are so intense, and they are so they're so they're, annoying. They're so annoying. At one point, one of them calls the apartment after 
um, after CC Baxter goes to sleep and he, it's like 11 p.m. And my ass, I thought to myself, his phone's ringing and he's like in bed and he like gets up and answers the phone. And I was like, I would not answer that damn phone after I was in bed because I know it's one of these fucking dudes being like, let me use your spot. And it is. It's like one of the managers from his company being like, hey, I've got this blonde here and it looks like she's a sure thing. Like, get out. Let me use your apartment. And he's like, he does. And I'm like, uh, that's insane to me. And he ends up sleeping on a bench in Central Park. And I was like, what the fuck? And Jack Lemon was out in like the low zero weather filming this scene. And apparently they said something about Billy Wilder like covering him in antifreeze to keep him warm, which sounds so dangerous. <laughs> that sounds insane. It's just what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, so that was happening. Also, in this scene in particular, I thought it was really funny because <laughs> you know what this... that reminds. Sorry, that what? just no, no, reminds. No, no. It's like you know how like the Tin Man was like you know he had to wear like um, silver paint all over himself and oh, then yeah. like got like I I think it was like mercury poisoning or something like irreversible from like inhaling the pain it's like we what we didn't know was literally killing us (laughs) like do you remember is this true this may be true i remember somebody telling me that in the scene in the off to see the wizard the wonderful wizard of oz in that scene somebody's like dead in the background. No, that's an old wives' tale. Okay, I, I people told, told me that, yeah. Like, a there were like ago. so much folklore around the around set of that, yeah, the set of that movie, which like most of it's not true. Um, I also so Mr. Dobish, who's played by Ray Walston, he's the one who's on the phone, who's trying to get the blonde, who he says looks like Marilyn Monroe, and apparently Billy Wilder. Did you see this? Billy Wilder apparently had directed Marilyn Monroe in Seven Year Itch and Some Like It Hot. And the experience was not too pleasant on his end, and he thought that Marilyn Monroe was quite the diva. So this was his way of, like, sort of, I guess, sending up Marilyn Monroe, which is funny because it's not a particularly, like, dis like dis at all so i although no. i thought was kind of shady was that was that clearly this this actress joyce jameson who played the role of the blonde clearly was giving full Marilyn in like the, like she's one line in the movie and she's like hurry up daddy gotta get done to get back to the apartment and it's like that was the only moment that i was like all right but i didn't realize that this was like this is what went for shade in 1960 well, you know, my only thought was this bitch sounds like Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I could see that. Is Jennifer is Jennifer Coolidge our Marilyn Monroe? I'll take. Well, it. that's what Tara. I we're watching it and I go, oh my god, that sounds like Jennifer Coolidge. And Tara looks at me and she goes, or does she, or does Jennifer Coolidge sound like that woman? And I was like, well, yeah, that makes you know sense. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I would believe that Jennifer something. Coolidge is our Marilyn Monroe. I'm I'll totally it, happy with that. I'm happy I with love that. that for us. Me too. I love that for us. Um, I w- were you going to say? No, no, no. Sorry. Were you, I, I was going to bring a new thought, but if you're Go continuing. Go for it. On- okay. My, my only thing was, was just that it's funny. And I was going to build off of what you said, which is, yeah, he's like ravenous to like and get to this like- gal to the apartment. And it's like at any expense. And like, it doesn't matter what like CC says because they, when they want in the apartment, they want in the apartment. So it's just like get to get in. 
It's insane. Like, he just is, like, he basically bends over for them, like, any chance he gets. And, like, just allows them. And, like, it it causes, like, such ruckus, like, with his neighbors and his landlady. They all think he's just out there, like, drinking, drinking, like, you know... Um, handle after handle of alcohol because they're like show him taking out his trash and he's got like tons of liquor bottles they think he's like sleeping with multiple women every night and you know that doesn't necessarily help his reputation in his <laughs> his apartment building but um, I, what I was going to say which actually sort of like harkens back towards like the or to like when things start to go awry in the movie um well, actually, maybe I'll wait on this. What I was going to say is, like, who do you who do you think is the true hero of this movie? Because I have it in my mind who the true hero of this movie is. And I want to know if we think of the same person. What an interesting question. Mm. Not the lead, but the hero of the movie. Yep. Well, honestly, I mean, if we're going to talk, like, hero of the movie, it would mm-hmm. probably be Dr. Dreyfus. Interesting. Okay. I'd love to hear why. Uh, I mean, well, Dr. Dreyfus saves... save. Okay, so so Fran and Sheldrake, they sort of start up their relationship again. And actually, like... And it sort of... It, it sort of sucks extra just because, like, there's this... Mo- she she sort of... Is a, she agrees to meet Cece. She says, I have, like, a prior engagement, but I'll meet you at the theater to see The Music Man which Sheldrake has gifted CC tickets to basically like now that I'm going to be using your apartment, you take these tickets and you make yourself scarce for the evening because I'm going to be entertaining a lady friend. Sheldrake, I mean, Baxter then invites Fran to go with him to the music man, not understanding that she is the gal pal that Sheldrake plans on taking back to the apartment. And her, she leaves her compact at the apartment. It has a piece of broken glass in it, which is sort of distinct. And, C.C. Baxter brings it to work and gives it to Sheldrake and says, oh, your lady friend, whoever she was, left this compact. And then in a couple scenes later, when he's having a conversation with Fran, um, he's she she wants to show him something. And so she pulls out her compact with the broken glass. In it, and that's the moment he realizes that the girl that he's in love with is tied up in this relationship with Sheldrake. And then, you know, Sheldrake ultimately lets her down just as he did before. But this time it's sort of like, well... Messy Miss Olsen, I guess, gets involved and sort of, I mean, she sort of stirs the pot, too. She's the she's Sheldrake's current secretary, and we find out that she was once one of the girls who could, who could count herself among, you know, his lady friends that he was. But she basically pulls aside... Um, pulls aside Fran and tells and goes through the list of women. She names three or four different women in the office who at one time or another have been involved in some sort of like romantic entanglement with Sheldrake. Well, this is this is where I have to jump in here and tell you that Miss Olsen for me is the hero of this movie. Well, I mean, I guess in a way, I guess in a way she is because let me I want to go over her Please. roster, her um her series of wins for me and okay. why she is the <laughs> absolute hero of this movie. Okay. So first of all, Miss Olsen First, if I was being cast in this movie, I would be like, please let me play Miss Olsen. She's the funnest character. She gets messy and drunk at the Christmas party and she pulls aside um, Fran and she's like, I see you got a thing going on with Mr. Sheldrake. I used to, too. Let me give you a list of who else. Is he going on and on and on about how he's going to leave his wife for you and it's just a matter of time or whatever? And that's when the light 
in Fran's head goes off and she realizes, oh, he's just feeding me lines. I'm being manipulated by this asshole. And that does spur Fran to attempt to die by suicide. That's, I don't, I, we can't pin that on Miss Olsen. She's exposing the truth that was already there. She doesn't give that information with the hopes of this being the outcome. She gives the information with, I think, with the hopes of educating Fran in like right. sort of like the way that she knows this situation is going to end based on these previous women. Exactly. Exactly. And how it's ended for them. And then when Mr. Sheldrake later in the movie finds out that Miss Olsen told Fran about his other extramarital affairs, Sheldrake shady ass fires her, which is like, if this happened in 2022, Sheldrake would have had a lawsuit on his ass so fucking fast. Probably years and years. Well, he should have had a lawsuit on his hands. Yeah. For for everything. Several things. (laughs) But everything but working. But before Shady Ass Olsen leaves, she makes the personal call and she calls Mrs. Sheldrake and she says, girl, you and me are going to have to meet for lunch. And she goes to lunch with Mrs. Sheldrake and exposes his cheating ass to his wife, which normally I think like, you know, nowadays it's like you want to get as little, you know, you don't want to get as involved in anything, whatever I would caution against telling somebody's um, partner that they're having an affair because you don't know what is what. But in this situation, I feel like she really saved the fucking day because she... I don't know if I would caution against it. Because, I mean, it's like... It depends. It depends. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that that's not always the right thing to do in every single situation. No. And it's also not the right thing to do if it's, like, conjecture. I would say that given the fact that she was one of the women, even if all you do is go to him and say that I fucked your husband, that's your truth of what happened. And I think that, like... I, I, if that's, that's her prerogative, yeah, that's, yeah, her that's prerogative. her prerogative. That's her prerogative. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as like a third party outsider who is not involved at all. Look, everything, everything in this world needs to be taken on a case by case basis. And what I'm saying about this case is that uh, Miss Olson had every goddamn right. I was really, honestly, I'm sorry, I was going to just, I was really surprised because I was trying to, you know, as as you do, you track what's going to happen and you think what's, what I thought was going to happen because Dave said, oh my God, like this is really dangerous. I can't believe she just did it. And I was like, she was like, she's the most secure person at this company. He's not going to mm-hmm. fire her. She knows where all the bodies are buried. And mm-hmm. then he made this dumbass move. And I thought like, mm-hmm. huh? But I didn't, I didn't know if they were mm-hmm. going to give her the agency that they gave her in, in this mm-hmm. particular instance. I thought she was going to be like, whoo. Who are you firing? You must be firing somebody you didn't fuck. You got me confused, baby. I got job security. Because Olsen that wouldn't... going nowhere. No, but that wouldn't fly in 1960. He'd say, this dame's crazy. I never slept with her. Get her I out mean, of here. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that that would be what I have her committed to, like, a fucking mental institution. I mean, that's possible, but also it's possible... Typically in situations like this, I always imagine, like... That there's like I always imagine that there's a very good chance that your wife already knows about your dirty dealings in the past, and that this is honestly just going to fall into a pattern of behavior. What did surprise sure, me, yeah? What did surprise me though is I thought to myself that woman's not leaving her husband in 1960 with two kids, mm-hmm. even if he is cheating. And then they did. That is what happened, and I was really surprised by that because I and who knows maybe she knew about some of the other stuff and she was mm-hmm. like not again. But I was really surprised that that was the outcome and that that uh, Mrs. Sheldrake, like, filed for divorce. I was like, whoa. 
I, oh man, I don't know. I wasn't super surprised by that, but I guess I didn't really think that through a ton um, as it was going on. But, but you, I the, think, you, I mean, we both acknowledge the fact that divorce was so, you know, it was so rare. That's true. Especially totally. for like these people that are like clearly like, like sort of upper crust in terms of like society. And they have two like boys that appear to be probably like preteen age, like yeah. around like 12, 11. So like, I, I just thought in my mind, like you, but, but like I said, you don't, you know, and we see this acted out in television shows like mm-hmm. Mad Men, which give us a little bit of a, a taste of what it was like. But I, but I would totally. just imagine that's why, that's what made me think. I wonder if this is like, a series of behaviors and if all she's done is confirm that the pattern is still like an active one you right. know mm-hmm. we well like i think about it too because like my grandparents like my mom's father divorced um her biological mother who i never met like in the i must have been in the 50s or 60s like and that was like totally unheard of at the time and like you know it was I don't think like I think my mom said they'd like change church the church that they went to and all kinds of like mm. it was not it, it was frowned upon for sure but I mean like um, I don't want to expose my mom's family stuff no but <laughs> to, it's like but, but it's he, like I mean but it's it does not it. come yeah yeah but it does not come without like complications we're so, right exactly yeah it, I mean it is like it's really interesting and I think that a part of why I had said uh, Dr. Dreyfus was just because he be, he sort of I mean he he saves her life in the totally, movie totally yeah he's, I I don't I think he's a great character do you want to talk about what he does and um, oh okay well we can talk about it because it gets pretty wild um, yeah but like <laughs> <he's> so, <laughs> oh does it get fucking wild <laughs> so. So Fran, essentially, they're at the apartment. I mean, she ends up at the apartment with Sheldrake. They have it out. They have a row. And um, she's making, like, she couldn't be making more sense than she's making, spitting nothing but facts. And Sheldrake is like, why are you so emotional? And she's like, because you literally lied to me and because I am one in a long line of women that you have lied to in the exact same way. Like, like do you need any other, like, information from me? She's literally this? giving nothing but, like, truth, like, and just <laughs> speaking it. And he's just like, you're out of control, woman. Take one of these volumes. Um, oh, yes. A hysterical dames left and right. Here. Here's a hundred dollar bill. You must be on your period. That's the only way to explain the way that you're behaving. But don't bring it up around me. That's crass, too. <laughs> don't like, ever run for president, girly. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see you try. I guess your platform's going to be nagging. Um, it is... It your is, platform is going to be nagging. <laughs> it is... He doesn't want to hear it. And she's literally just saying, like, you lied to me. You told me this thing, and then you did this thing. And he's like, well, I can't talk to you when you're like this. It's like, what, lucid? Like... Yeah. when i'm the problem when i'm making the most sense you've ever heard in your entire fucking life quite literally the most like cogent argument that's ever been made for like Mm -hmm. things that you said versus what you did they don't line up (laughs) i gotta get out of here um it's like i bet you do buddy so like they're having this fight and then he leaves her and she's like i'm just gonna freshen up at the apartment she goes in the bathroom and then um that's sort of what takes us into like we're making the okay Hold on. Can before can we just talk for two seconds before mm-hmm. we get into this? The Christmas party that happens at the fucking office right before okay, they go back so, to his house. And this is where this is where you know Baxter sees the compact with the broken glass for the first time and puts the pieces together on mm-hmm. who she's been involved with. And this is like 
where people are getting wild. I mean, this can only be described as hedonistic. There are people all over like making out with each other like in a fucking, you know you like, know it's you know it's all co-workers too you know nobody's course. here no, no of course not it's all co-workers i'm sure they're all married no one and they're doing it in front of god and everyone that's the thing is everybody's been the freaky shit's been happening since the beginning of time it's just it's just how dare you talk about it that's like the thing it's like the respectability of like previous generations it's like y'all were getting it in dirty and doing all the filthy shit just like everybody else you just didn't discuss it and there wasn't social media but like <laughs> everybody was getting in one of the secretaries who i genuinely was clutching my pearls when she would work those <laughs> off. She was on top of one of the desks, and it was literally like hundreds of people around her just frothing at the mouth, and she's just taking off parts of her outfit. And I was like, sis, you gotta come in and work on Monday. <laughs> I was like, is this a striptease? And they're gassing How? her up, too. <laughs> I know, they're all there for it. And it's like, you gotta come in and type your little reports on Monday? Like, Girl, I don't think so. She was, trying to un- she was trying to take off that turtleneck <laughs> and that pencil skirt, and it was like... Tis not the season. Where, no. where your, and there were women too. Some of the women and the other secretaries, they were they were Petey Pablo. They were throwing the hand up, swinging the shirt like a helicopter. I was like, why don't one of you tap her on the shoulder and say, sis, come with me to the bathroom. Let's splash some water on your face. Yeah. Your Let- reputation is it is tenuous, baby. We got it. We best. need a reset right now. I would be if that was my friend, I'd be pulling her off the table. If that was my friend, I'd be like, hey, come here with I got a secret to tell you. Get your ass off this fucking table. Before you lose your damn job. You crazy? It, it is a lot. It is literally her. She's the only person on a table, too. It's not like, it's not like oh, there was like five or, there was like five or six girls we got No, she is. It is her show. Shirley was are. on the table. I said what I said. Oh, who else was up there? Her and God. It was not another soul to be found. It's like she took off that cardigan. And she was like, dare me, dare me to do it. It's like, what's it? Whatever, whatever, whatever you got on the tip of your tongue. (laughs) I'm doing it. Especially not, and especially not for these, like, not for the 19th floor um, hangers on, please. No, no, no. You want to go up to the executive suite and be doing that. Let's save this for 27th floor. Exactly. We got some ballers in that room. We're going. We're going. I want to see some bands tonight. If I'm I'm twerking on, if I'm twerking on the desk. If I'm taking off my sweater set, I'm gonna need something for it. If I'm doing that, yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing it for anybody that makes the same money as me. Let me put it that way. Okay. No, I know how. I know how much you make. I type up your. I type up your paycheck. So you go over to the punch bowl. Okay. Where are the ballers? Actually, we should speak about the money too, because yes, in the beginning I, I of in the begin, I'm sorry, I know we we're just about to talk about the whole. We'll, we'll get to that, but the whole um, scene at the at the actual apartment with Baxter and with Fran. But I do want to, in the beginning of this movie, Baxter has this voiceover and he talks about a ton of things. Do you want to go through the numbers? Oh yeah, okay. So okay. so I do want to talk about so Baxter shares with us that he pays eighty five eighty five dollars a month rent for his apartment, which according to and this gives you all if anybody listening to this podcast was wondering what are those what are those millennials with their um avocado toast always complaining about uh not mm-hmm. being able to own homes? But he's paying eight hundred and fifty he 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 paid eighty 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 five dollars a month in rent, and that's the equivalent today of eight hundred and fifty five dollars a month oh that's interesting i got 870 but well, I, I mean we're dancing around the same the yeah same, same number uh, but i just think it's interesting yeah it is and it's like 
so it's like that's what we're dealing with in terms of like so if we're thinking about like the cost of like living versus you know and the ways in which like the cost of living and uh and wages have increased side by side with like the amount that it costs to like own a home or like rent a property or in some city it is, is like insane. crazy if the numbers are moving if the numbers are moving up the way that they are then this is where we should be at and and I know there's other factors obviously but the overall like issue here is the fact that like what what people have been complaining and quote unquote belly aching about is the fact that like the amount of money that people are making is not in any way like ref, ref, it's has not increased at the same rate that the cost of living has increased so like exactly. the cost of living has increased like tenfold like so much that it's like you like people are being priced out of dave, dave was just tell me about what like one of the 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 what was that the newest member was it congress dave one of the newest congress members in dc the first oh gen z. it's the first gen z guy i cannot remember his who can't name. afford to live in dc it's it's he he has his credit is poor and he was trying to rent an apartment in dc and he told the realtor look my credit isn't good but you know i i need to rent this apartment and he got denied renting an apartment and he's like I'm a member of Congress, like, you know, I have had to go into debt to run to win this office. And because I have a significant amount of debt, that's affected my credit, which means I can't even live in the city in which I'm supposed to be working. Which is like insane. And like, I mean, this is we've Mm -hmm. been talking about this for years, but it's interesting to see that he makes $94 a week, which is the equivalent of uh, about $950 today. And that comes out to about 50K a year. Um, which is not a super high salary. No. And and let me tell you, 870 or $855, whatever it is, for an apartment in Manhattan is v- impossible oh, to live on your impossible. own in an apartment in Manhattan in any city, any larger city. I mean, you couldn't find that in Chicago. No. Anywhere. Hard press. Anywhere. You, you'd be... I don't know where the fuck you'd be living. It's a big, it's a big ass one bedroom too. It's huge. I mean, I would love to have a one bedroom like that for eight seventy. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. It is. It's wild how it's wild how expensive like things have gotten. But you just see those numbers and you just think to yourself like, how fucked we are. Um, Uh, How how (laughs) how unbelievably fucked we are. And like continuing to ignore the fact that like this just is not a sustainable like market, and this is happening like all over the world. I mean, this is not by any means just New York. I mean, there are, yeah, this is absolutely. a big thing happening right now. Also, I know in like London as well. Like they don't every, like a lot every of, major city. Yeah, every major city. But I feel like I was reading something recently about London in particular, where it's like all of the people that are like working the jobs, like the servers and and the waiters at restaurants, they can't afford to live in London anymore. And a lot of people are just leaving and moving to smaller communities because it's like I it's like the amount of money it would cost to and the amount of time it would take to take a train into London to work in London to then get on a train and take it an hour, an hour plus back home. I'd rather just make less money and work somewhere locally and be able to like walk home to like my small quaint, you know, apartment than like get on it then like it the math isn't mathing it doesn't make sense and they're like we don't have service people don't want to work here it's like yeah no shit like Like, because you don't pay people money like this is the thing not about like our system is just fucked it's just it's It's broken and it needs to be changed and we can't keep putting band-aids on it like things are not making sense okay i know this is a podcast about the apartment but um but the apartment (laughs) was affordable back then the apartment was affordable okay yeah Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, so all of this is happening. There's also the other thing that's really interesting in these movies as well. 
is like you get like a little bit of like insight into like the morality around living like the way that you had to live we we get like a really quick sort of like back and forth because what we find out we'd mentioned we sort of hinted at this already before but uh there's fran ultimately ends up taking this secanol which is like a like a it's like a sleeping um, pill it's a sleeping pill but she takes a bottle of them in um baxter's apartment passes out on the bed Baxter brings a young lady back to the apartment with him. He's gotten drunk because he's realized that he can't have Fran. And he opens up the door to his bedroom and sees Fran on the bed and sends her away, sends the woman that he's brought over away, goes next door to get Dr. Dreyfus, who is his next door neighbor. Um, uh, he comes over, uh, played by Drac Crucian, um, nominated for an Academy Award, um, as were Shirley MacLaine and um, Jack Lemmon as well, um, mm. but brings him over and he begins the process of like, of like trying to like revive Fran essentially. And it's like funny because we were watching the scene and I was thinking, Oh my God, like he's doing every, he's doing too much. Um, but I was also thinking like, Oh, like in, especially like then, although I guess today would be the similar, like, but I feel like, I feel like back then in particular, like this would have been like, like this happening and then her going to the hospital and them having the knowledge of what happened, I think could have potentially been a complete like undoing of like, it could have been ruin, I think for her. Um, Ruinous, yeah, for her life and her for career. I mean, the more people find out about this, particularly at work, if people find out about this, whether they know that it has anything to do with Mr. Sheldrake or not, she could be labeled as a person who, you know, can't handle the everyday grind of working in an office like this. They Maybe they could fire her. She might have trouble finding another job because she doesn't have, you know, references from this current job. It, it would be a really... It, or they could, they, could med- they could put her into some sort of, like, psychiatric Absol- facility absolutely. where she's just overdrugged and just deemed as, like a woman unfit to like care yes. for herself. Like yes. it could, it could be really, really bad and detrimental. And obviously there's a lot of complications around something like this happening in today's time um, as well. But I think that that sort of like was what, what was, what came through for me in this scene was like, yeah. we need to take care of this here. If we can take mm-hmm. care of it here to avoid this escalating to like another institution where things could get even worse. Um, Absolutely. And I will say that I don't think that that is the place where Baxter was coming from um, when he was like, we don't want to bring her to the hospital because I think he no. was afraid about the repercussions of, of exposure to Mr. Sheldrake. But I will say I'm glad he took that approach because I think he unknowingly like saved her from that kind of life, for sure. And I think also, I, I feel like Crucian kind of understood that a little bit too. Not like necessarily all of those but i think he understood what could happen for her because but initially he wanted to he still he still wanted to like get her to like an emergency room and like i think you're right baxter's reasoning for not wanting her to go i think had a lot to do with him still sort of towing the company line and like Mm -hmm. because the other thing that we had mentioned is like you know we mentioned the fact that like uh sheldrake i think dobish kirkaby um they all have these names um eichelberger vanderhoff (laughs) All of these men who are the four main ones in Sheldrake that have been using the apartment, like, they all have been, like, dangling these... So it's interesting that, like, Fran and Cece have both been having these sort of carrots dangled in front of them. Different ones, but, like, she's been promised this sort of, like, 
you know, familial unit and, like, this sort of opportunity to supplant Mrs. Sheldrake in terms of, like, you know, marrying, you know, Mr. Sheldrake, moving into this house in the suburbs, living this fantasy life. And Cece has been promised this sort of upward mobility within the company and, like, all of these men who are, like, putting in good words for him. And, like, he, I mean, to be fair, I mean, to be, to be clear, I mean he i mean cc's sort of getting it i mean they are coming through in that regard but like he's still very much he wants to keep using that and he he wants to sort of maintain this good favor with these gentlemen and as a result like he overlooks a lot and he sort of allows them to manipulate him and to use him as they as they see fit for whatever mm-hmm. they want and we see that happening here and it's a crazy scene because like Christian, like, he first takes her into the bathroom. It seems like we don't see the scene. We just sort of hear it. But it seems like he's trying to get her to throw up. Yeah. And then I think he, like, he, she does seem to throw up a little bit. And then he mm-hmm. splashes some water on her face, I think. And then he, they carry her to the couch. And then, like, he just starts, like, slapping the shit out of her. Like, yo. Yo. <laughs> yo. You could have. I mean, I stood up for my goddamn couch because it is not a light friendly tap on the cheek. It is an absolute fucking backhand across Shirley McLean's face. And the way that that happened, I was not expecting it. It No. It it pulled me out of it. Me and Tara were both like, whoa! And then he continues. No, he slaps her like five times. And it's like hard slaps. He is like, wake wake the fuck up. Yeah, he's like, bitch, I am not playing. Do not die on me. Inyanla's voice, not on my watch. He was like, and he keeps, and and also Dave was really shocked by the fact that he has, he has Baxter go in the kitchen to get this hot ass coffee. And then he starts trying to pour the coffee down her throat and she's and it's like david's like oh my god like he's <laughs> burning her she's like kind of jolt but it's like i think it's just her burning esophagus but it's really funny that <laughs> because, like the, because you hear the kettle go off for the boiling water and not two seconds later baxter comes from the kitchen with a coffee cup and dr drivis immediately pours it down her throat not like let's drop an ice cube down here and cool it no 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 baby we, we want the no. heat it is hot like mcdonald's level suing coffee being poured down her throat it is horrifying and, and she kind of comes back comes to and then she's out again i did think there was going to be a moment the next day where she was like i have bruises on my face and my my throat did you was something was boiling water poured down my my throat and I thought maybe it was going to be a moment where we had to talk about it, but under rug swept. Um, she seems to be completely, she seems to be completely, um, she's dealing with other things. Let's just say she's got she's, a lot going on. She's out of it. She's, they, they spent, so she spends about two days in this apartment and she's in and out of consciousness and they have a really nice rapport and back and forth sort of, he's helping her get to know each other, but she does not bring up the fact that she's been Abused. Yeah. Did somebody smack the shit out of me yesterday? (laughs) We never get that moment. Um, And they're also at one point they're just literally like carrying her through the apartment back and forth. And Crucian is like, you know, we've got to keep her awake for the next several hours. And we get the feeling Mm -hmm. that like there's a time lapse, but it does seem like you keep calling him Crucian. That's the actor, but the the it's. I'm sorry, Doctor Dreyfus. I keep calling the actor. Yeah, Doctor Dreyfus and uh, Baxter. They literally are carrying her around the apartment, trying to make her walk because the whole thing is like we have to keep her awake for the next several hours. And so it's like Doctor Dreyfus really comes through. And earlier in the movie, 
right at the beginning of the movie, you know, the liquor bottles are being carried out. Dr. Dreyfus is coming home at the time that Baxter is. And there's a comment made about like, you know, you got so, you know, there's so much noise. You were keeping me up last night. So that's sort of this reputation that like CeCe has in this building, even though he's getting, he's getting none. He's Um, getting zero. He's getting zero. But these dudes are in the apartment. Smashing's happening constantly. And so everybody (laughs) just sort of thinks it's him. So it's like, he looks like the monster in this situation because it's like, oh my God, Dr. Dreyfus is called over when she's in the bed. The other woman is there. Dr. Dreyfus is like, oh my God, like you've got these women like, you know, attempting to end their own lives. And you had the nerve to bring home another woman while this woman's in the bedroom, like having swallowed all these pills. You're out of control. Mm. And it is so like, it's very much that vibe. But like, that's, I mean, the humor and the sweetness of it is that it's the complete opposite of who Baxter is. And like, Mm -hmm. he, and like, he is, he is advancing. Like he is advancing in the company. We're seeing him move up the ranks and like, uh, in in like, like weeks, he's like getting his own office and he's like, he's an assistant director. And then like two weeks later, he's a director. Like, it's, I'm like, I mean, it's, okay, it's working. I guess, I guess you don't have to do anything in order, like, within, like, the work stratosphere to earn this. Like, are you qualified? I don't know. The thing is, though, who's who's really qualified? Anyway? Yeah, that's And true. also back in 1960, <laughs> like, who was qualified for any job ever? I'm sure it was just I know. a bunch of men, like, what, chain-smoking cigarettes and, like, you know, what... Making a couple of phone too much, calls. A couple f- fingers of, of bourbon every day and, like, yeah. you know, saying the right phrases to each other. Um, <laughs> but, like, also, is there's also a scene that just, I don't want to forget to talk about this. So, Fred McMurray's character, Mr. Sheldrake, there's a scene, we get one black person in the whole movie. Um, oh, my he, God, yeah. shoe shines Sheldrake's shoes, and then Sheldrake, I think, flicks him, like, a quarter. And apparently... <laughs> I bet it was, like, like a five-cent piece. <laughs> it may have been a five-cent piece, but apparently... Like the uh, Fred McMurray like was having trouble flicking the the quarter, and so Billy Wilder wanted to switch it to a half dollar, so to make it easier. Mm. And and Fred McMurray was like, "I would never, I would never give this man a, a, like fifty <gasps> cent. That's unrealistic." Oh and my god! So I was like, "All right, we see you, we see you, we, Mr. McMurray. We see you, McMurray." He said, "Wowza." No. He said, "Not while I'm not while I'm playing the role. Well, when because, did this oh, become a fairy tale?" <laughs> because honestly, okay, so I looked up how much a dollar was worth in 1959 because the movie came out in 1960, but they mentioned that it's 1959 within the movie. So I was just using that year as a barometer. A dollar in 1959 is worth ten dollars and twenty four cents today. So if he gave him a half dollar for so it'd be like. $2.50, basically. No, it'd be I like $5. It'd be like $5, yeah. Which I actually think is like a reasonable tip for someone yeah. shining your shoes. But, you know, no, 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 I, no, money's no, different. Money's, money's different nowadays, whatever. But yeah, yeah that what was, was... Exactly. <laughs> um, and also, I thought it was really... So the one thing I will say, not in Sheldrake's defense... But I will say that... What are you about to say? But in the scene, (laughs) when he gets her at the apartment, before everything goes awry... Okay. He does. He does. He does what? The bare minimum? He does give baby girl $100. And let's just talk for a second. (laughs) Okay. Because he gives her a hundo. And he says... Okay. He says, Merry Christmas, boo. That's that's a G. That's a G today. That's all I'm saying. So I'm just like, (laughs) okay, okay. 
Although I will say this, let if me you're ask a wealthy you. New York, if you're a wealthy New York exec, like a thousand dollars today isn't really shit, actually. Um, especially, yeah, especially if you're the, you know what I mean, the uh, tier that Mr. Sheldrake was at. What were you going to ask me, Jane? You said, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. All right, here we go. All right. You are having an affair with a married person. This okay. is another this is another reality where you're not married. You have an affair with a married man. Mm-hmm. And he treats you like shit most of the time, but you still can't hop off. And then one of the last times he sees you when you're like really upset, he tries to give you a thousand dollars. What do you do? What's your reaction? Wait, what do you mean? Like do I take the money? What is your reaction to that moment? How do you perceive when he is hit, trying to give you money? Like as a Christmas present, like we're like having. Yeah, like I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have time to think about you. So here's a thousand dollars. I mean, I'm pissed about it. And mm-hmm. as I'm putting the money in my pocket, I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Um, I, I'm. You ain't shit. But I'm still taking that money though. <laughs> I'm still saying that money, and it, it's up in the air whether I'm calling you back. Yeah. If, oh, for sure, that part. Yeah, it's like, yeah. fuck you. But I'm still but, taking the money. But I'm still taking, yeah, I'm taking the money. And I'm probably, and if we're at his friend's apartment, I'm probably taking some of his shit, too. <laughs> on my way out. And I understand it's about, like, dignity or whatever. Oh, but for sure. I, but I'm like, you know what? Times is tough. And I think, like, also because of how bad, like, how bad things are with our, you know, inflation and economy right now, I could really use $1,000 at any point, at any Always. time. Like, yeah. Always. Although I would say, like, I feel like for today, it needs to be, like, 10 k Like... For it, to have any, for it to have any sort of impact, I just mean, like, if, like, there was a remake, I feel like you couldn't, like, $1,000 wouldn't do it today. I feel like, do you know what I mean? No, I disagree. Because he's not giving her something that really is significant to him. That's a that's difficult He's for giving her what he has with. on him. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yes, yeah. so that's why it's got to be something that doesn't really matter. Like, A, I didn't think about you, and B, I'm not really taking a blow and giving you this $100 bill. This is, yeah, this isn't, this isn't like a, this isn't going to be missed. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I this mean, is I to keep, this is to shut you up. I know yeah, this, is this is probably a lot, this is probably a lot to you. Yeah. No, I feel you there. And so, yeah, I would take some stuff from his friend's apartment, but, mm-hmm. but I would. <laughs> me too. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Call me out on it. I, I fucking dare you. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. You fucking coward. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Where's that hundred dollars at? I don't know. I left it on your friend's fucking table when I left. Did he spend yeah. it and not tell you about it? It sounds like some motherfucker you'd hang out with. Gross. Exactly. Gross of you to ask me about it. Of course I didn't take it. That money you and your little, your fucking liar friends, I'm sure. I put it back in your, I put it in your fucking jacket pocket, Casanova, mm-hmm. right before you left to catch, catch a train. But you're so goddamn delusional that you probably mm-hmm. missed that too. Just like you missed, you missed the mark on how to treat me. You missed that mm-hmm. hundo. I don't mm-hmm. want your cash. No, I didn't spend it on anything. I don't need it. I bought mm. I, I, I buy groceries with my own coin. Mm-hmm. No, I'd be very much thrown in his face. Speaking of which, so this apartment, did you see also two of the lamps in this apartment are apparently currently two the two, two Tiffany's lamps. They're worth like around thirty to forty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, two lamps in, C- in CC's apartment, which apparently back then they weren't worth really anything. But you guys can't see me now, but I'm doing my antiques roadshow surprised face. That's crazy. And what's that? What's the? There's a noise that goes with your face too, isn't there? 
<laughs> you just heard it. Whoa! That's sort of yeah, what I just a... did. <laughs> yeah, mine is always like, oh. Why is that you like, why is that like a weird like finishing? Because it's like, noise? you know, oh my god, like this, this oak, this oak dining room table, how much do you think it's worth? And then you're like, I don't know. It was. I don't think about money when it comes to heirlooms that were gifted to me of by, course not. by my family members. But yeah. I come from a humble, a humble family of farmers. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine mm. what fifty bucks. And he's like, try fifteen million. And then I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> First of, so is that you um, climaxing in your pants? No, that's just me like taking in. Like that's a lot of money. Okay, I, I I would love to see a table worth $15 million some, somewhere. It's all about the circles you run in. I told you this, but you, you slum <laughs> it for That's sure. That's true. That's true. Me, of course. Well, I like to keep it. I like to keep it real. I like to keep it, you know, I like to be in touch with, um, you know, the rest of the world. I don't, I, I don't walk around with my head in the clouds like some people, you know. I get it. You look real. You look very like authentic today. Thank you. Like Thank a you. woman of people. <laughs> you too, baby boy. Hey, I love to give the illusion. Mm. Um, but, you know, this is who you are. So that's the is, difference. Is that um, Balenciaga? Uh, that trash you're wearing? No. Balen- <laughs> the, the Balenciaga? <laughs> the Birkins? All that shit's in storage. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, where's my fucking Telfar? Because that shit's imported. Um... But yeah, so all of this is happening. We watched him fall in love in the apartment. Mrs. Olsen gets her revenge. Yes, um, we also, bless her. I will also... Well, okay, so one thing I noticed was clearly like the four gentlemen that we mentioned earlier, not uh, uh, not really including Sheldrake, but we were talking about Vanderhoff, Eichelberger, uh, Kirkaby, and, Do- and Dobish. Those four, they are like initially the four that are like sort of... They're helping, using the apartment. They're using the, the apartment and they're helping um Baxter gain favor, you know, before Mr. Sheldrake sort of gets involved. And then it's really funny to me because it's like they're still sort of sniffing around and trying to make demands. And it's like, I don't need y'all anymore. No, I That's got Sheldrake was, in my pocket. That was my first thought. And I get that like there's still sort of these intermediaries that sort of separate, like they still occupy that space between Baxter and Sheldrake. But once you've got once you've got Sheldrake in your pocket. You don't need to deal with any of these clowns anymore. Mm-mm. And furthermore, once you get rid of these four fools, then that means that there's more time for Sheldrick to have the apartment whenever he wants. So that was mm-hmm. the thing that Baxter should have been doing, was like being like, look, I I want you to have the apartment whenever. But what Kirkaby came over the other day, I told him that you wanted the slot that he had. He said, fuck that motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and Eichel Berger was standing behind him and he said, that's on period. <laughs> And I was like, what's going on? And then Dobish came in the room and he was horny as all get out. And I was like, you can't have the apartment either. And he said, I'll whoop Sheldrake's ass. So I'm here telling you, I don't want any drama, but I want you. I think if we got rid of the four, then. No, no, no. And you wouldn't want any drama. Not not at all. Not at all. No, no, no. So I'd say. It's certainly not you fucking stirring the pot, literally. No, no, no. I would no, just say all not. I want is for you to have the apartment whenever you want it, and I of think of course the, it, I don't know if you feel comfortable having them in the office after they said that you ain't you ain't shit. Then like that's cool, but <laughs> oh wow, so you you're, you're tr- look uh, look they they're not really pulling their weight anyways as far as I'm concerned around here. So if you want to cut the cord, <laughs> Dobish said you were going to be dead by the end of the month. 
I don't know what that means. I didn't ask any questions. I came straight to you. But I would say, <laughs> I don't know if you want bad seeds around. So, like, I would just get rid of the four of them because y'all aren't useful to me. I'm, I've ascended mm-hmm. above you now. So, I don't, I, I, no, you can't have the apartment anymore. Sheldrake has it that night. He has it mm-hmm. next night, too. He has Anytime it whenever they came he wants to me, it. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, go talk to Sheldrake about it. Yeah. Right? Maybe he'll, maybe he'll play switcheroo with you. Or is he the top <laughs> dog around here and you ain't shit? Because that's why you let me know. What is it? Which one? Because I would, I'm not dealing with the four of them. Not, not, once I've gotten, not once I've gotten to the head honcho, you all can kick, can kick rocks. So that was very much what I was thinking. Also, the million dollar question of this movie. Oh, okay. What? Have none of these people heard of hotel rooms? <laughs> okay. So I thought about that too. I was like, what the fuck? This is New York City. I'm sure there's a million fucking hotel rooms that rent by the hour that you could go, you know, head your ass to Times Square before it was, you know, wasn't Times Square like really seedy before they like mm-hmm. totally revived it the into the days. fucking mall it is today. But, um,. <clears throat> There was at one point at the very end when uh, it's on New Year's Eve when she's talking with Sheldrake and uh, sorry, Fran is at the um, at a New Year's Eve party at a bar with Sheldrake. I think it's back at the Chinese restaurant. I can't yes. remember, though. Um, and she's like, OK, he, he comes back to the table and he's like, don't worry, I've got a car. This is after his divorce. And Fran, I think, doesn't know that Miss Olsen blew his ass up. No. And she thinks he actually did leave her. His wife leaves. His, his wife. His wife basically asks him for a divorce after Miss Olson tells him everything that's going on, and then he presents it as though he has made the decision to leave his wife in order to pursue this relationship with Fran, right? Um, fulfilling the promise that he made to her, which is bullshit. Yeah, he's just looking to get his and using this to his advantage. And so he comes back to the table and it's New Year's Eve and he's like, I've got a car. It's coming to pick us up at 1 a.m. and take us to Atlantic City. And she's like, what? Why? He's like, I couldn't get a hotel around here. There's no hotels. So, I mean, maybe it's that the apartment is the guaranteed thing in a hotel. Like, it might be more difficult to get a room, I assume. I honestly, what I actually came away thinking was, a, I kept thinking people with money are some of the cheapest people in the fucking world. So that's, that's I think, so fucking true. So I, fucking true. I think that's one of the main things. And I think also these gentlemen are using this place with such frequency that mm-hmm. like the amount of money you would probably have to spend to get a hotel room that was comfortable enough to like make sense for these women to want to come here and do this. You don't want you don't want to get a gritty grimy hotel room. Also, you also an apartment gives you the comforts of a home. So you mm-hmm. have access to a refrigerator. You're not like it like to go to like a hotel room, you would need to get like snacks. You would need to get like alcohol. You would, all of these things they don't come exactly. with the hotel. And you'd be exactly. footing the bill for all of that. And obviously you can use like a name and you can pay with cash and there are ways to sort of keep it from like becoming a paper trail. But I would imagine over time you would cuz consider these aren't men who are doing one-off affairs. These are men who have active like relationships with these women that they are maintaining right. on a weekly basis. At one time he says, one of them he says Monday and Thursday. So it's like, so that means that this person is meeting with his woman at his house twice a week, pretty much, you know, after work. So yeah. it's like that adds up. So I'm sure and they're, spending, yeah. they're spending their money on like taking them out to restaurants and taking them out to like movies and theaters before they go back to these hotel, the, the, his apartment. So I think for all of these reasons, the apartment makes sense. And I think you're right, Jane. I think that, there's uh 
I think that it's got to do with like the sort of the comfort and the ease and it's, mm-hmm. there's no question marks and you don't have to ru- worry about running into anyone at a, at a, at his apartment versus a hotel lobby where you're exactly. shacking up with somebody and then you run into like an old coworker or one of your wife's like sorority sisters or some shit. <laughs> like, so all of that stuff That's goes out the point. window. <clears throat> and I think that it also is just a really big power move too. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you, you have a person who works under you who you can force to like, you know, make you use his home you know, totally. for your own, for your own, like, entertainment. And, you know, it's funny, though, too, because at the end of the movie, it's interesting because you realize that they really didn't have any real power anyway. Not that no. they ever, not that they ever claimed, they never threatened to, like, do him harm. They only ever said what they could do to advance his career. So they never said, like, you're going to be out if you don't do this. But they did say if you well, do. Well, they did. They did say that at one point when he's first gets his promotion, the four the four stooges are there congratulating him for making it and they're asking about hey you've been kind of stingy with a key recently like i need it and he's like oh i don't know gentlemen and he's like hey we got you in here we can take you out you know we can do what we can to get you out whether that's like real a real threat or not who knows but But yeah. that's what he should have said. Oh, well, you know who's got it right now? Motherfucking mother, the HBIC around here. Motherfucking Shell Drake, Drake's got the baby. motherfucking key right now. So you know what I want to see? What I want to see, I want to see you take it from him. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm seeing. And then you come to the apartment whenever you want. Mm-hmm. And then I call Shell Drake and I'd be like, you know, what's really funny. Before you came in, they were mm-hmm. talking shit about how they were going to jump you mm-hmm. at the, um, at the, at the, um, the executive bathroom. They said as soon as you go in there to drop a deuce, they're going to all hit you with that one too when you come out. Fresh it's off the pot. Curtains for Sheldrake. So, do you want, what do you want to... Their words. I, their words. No, I, not their mine. words. And I'm waiting because I just want to see what happens now. He's mm-hmm. here. Everybody had the energy of whooping his ass earlier. So, I just want to see that. What does that look mm-hmm. like in real life? Yeah. I'd love to see that take place. Eichelberger? Yeah. <laughs> Van, Vanderhoff? Dobish? okay okay it's silent then the same fucking energy this is what i want when he leaves too they would have been like what is this black bastard doing in our office building we thought we gave him a 10 cent piece to get the fuck out yeah oh yeah right because i know children would snatch that half dollar right out of my black hand i'll be damned (laughs) um but yeah and like ultimately at the end of the movie the really wonderful thing that i like about this Mm -hmm. movie and one things that one of the things i think makes it special is that we see that like at the end of the movie we have cc getting the position of assistant director so he's Mm -hmm. the assistant to sheldrake which also weirdly comes with his office that it seems to (laughs) the, the entrance seems to be through sheldrake's I hope there's a hall entrance as well. It's just yeah, like it weird. was weird. It's like a <laughs> weird setup, like he he brings I spent it in a his lot of time thinking like, about that setup. I spent a lot of time thinking about that setup because I was like, what every time you gotta go. It's like here? this like he like invites him up to his office and then he's like, I have a surprise for you. And then he opens this little Bing John Malkovich tiny ass door on the side <laughs> of his office and he's like, There you go. And it's like his office, but just like a tinier version. And he's like, This is you'll be my assistant. And it's like a promotion for sure because now he's like literally at the he's at like the the ear of the boss um mm-hmm. so it's like this would be like his third like his third move ascent, ascent move in terms of the movie and at the same time that this is happening his marriage to his wife has ended he is now um 
he's now attempting to he's like trying, he's trying to woo um Miss Kublek. Yeah. And get and he's, her back in his good graces. So both of them are sort of like you know, they're both sort of getting the thing kind of that they wanted. And they ultimately I like that they I like that this movie ends with them both getting the thing that they want. Although mm-hmm. obviously it would have required them to both sort of like make certain concessions um, yeah. to get it. But I think I like that it ends the way that it ends because they ultimately both make the choice to... They both make the choice to pick each other and they both sort of like you make mean, the choice. You mean the movie ends with both Fran and Baxter getting what they want. Yes, Fran and Baxter. Okay. I mean, well, she's getting what she wants in terms of him, him ha- even though it's bullshit, but him having left his wife <laughs> and Baxter's getting the promotion, like one of the highest well, we should positions. Take- well, we should take through what happens. So they they offer Baxter gets offered this big promotion, and he's very excited to take it. But then, so Baxter gets the promotion, and he's very excited about it. And then for the final time, Sheldrake asks him for his key and says, "I want to take Fran back to your house." And that's the final straw, because after this point, Baxter has totally fallen in love with Fran. And he's like, you know what? No, I'm absolutely not going to give you my key, especially not to take Fran back to my apartment. And he quits his job and he leaves. And Fran doesn't know any of this. And so she is then we see the New Year's Eve scene where Fran is like, where are we going after this? And Baxter, or not Baxter, Sheldrick is like, oh, I have a car that's picking us up at 1 a.m. to take us to Atlantic City. And she's like, why? And he says, I couldn't get a hotel room in the in the city anywhere. And Baxter wouldn't give me his key. And he said, I can't use it with anybody, especially not you. And that is the signal to Fran that she realizes, okay, I understand why Baxter did this because he has feelings for me and I have feelings for him. And so it's a really nice moment where they're all turned around and they're singing old Lang Syne and Baxter or sorry, not Baxter and Fran just gets up and runs away and Sheldrake doesn't even see that she runs away and she runs to Baxter's apartment. And we get the two of them and it's, it's a really, it ends really sweetly it with does. him, with them essentially playing gin rummy, like sitting on a couch's apartment. He's a bunch of boxes packed because he's getting ready to sort of say goodbye to this apartment and like all that it represents because there's been so much upheaval that has happened here. Some good, but a lot bad. And I think mm-hmm. it's sort of the mark of something new for him. And they're sitting on the they're sitting on the couch and they're beginning to play the game. And he turns her and he says, "I'm absolutely in love with you." And she doesn't really like she she just gives him a smile. And he keeps going, and then she says, shut up and deal. And it's this really, like, hopeful, sweet note that these two mm. people who sort of, like, came to each other in, like, various states of brokenness have, like, sort of found each other. And really, this apartment was also the place where they kind of, like, collectively healed and made really big decisions about, like, the kind of people that they want to be moving forward. Yeah. And they showed themselves to each other in ways that it seemed like we didn't really see them show themselves to anyone else. They were able to be themselves. He saw her at her most sort of broken moment and he mm-hmm. he helped her through it and she really helped him, you know, become the man that she needed him to be kind of. And so it's really like this sweet note and it's really hopeful and it's New Year's and it's yeah. it ends on New Year's and so that's sort of like 
you know, brings us here to the end of it was beautiful. I well, the one thing I was upset about is like there's no kiss. I wanted a kiss between them. We we did yeah. We don't get it. We don't get a kiss. It's like it's I so know. like it is so up in the air. You know what's yeah. gonna happen, but it feels and so- in some ways that's better. It does feel hopeful, but it's like it felt very appropriate to the moment where she's just like, let's take this one step at a time. You know. I, think, I felt like, like it was very much too like I want to figure this out, you know. Yes, exactly. Meaning here. like, like I mean Baxter is like fully and he's like I'm absolutely in love with you. I adore you. And she's like, shut up and deal. You know. She's like, okay, I get that, but let's not rush into anything. Let's take this. Let's the, let's finish our gin game, which we've been trying. It's been a through line throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like they want to finish their game of gin, and that's what they're doing at the end of this movie. And then you you are hopeful about the next step although they don't you know hand feed it to you so i love that so um that is the apartment Mm Hmm. and uh jane i have a question for you okay um would you watch this movie again i absolutely would watch this movie again i wait a little time in between seeing it because i kind of i'm like i know what happens i've watched it twice but i would absolutely watch it again yeah My second question is, as we continue to move into the January of it all, do you Mm. have a movie for me? Well, I do. And it's great that we have talked a lot about New Beginnings, because I think this really falls in line with us, um, you know, moving into a new new beginning with this podcast by finishing something there we um, go i know, I, know. <laughs> I can no longer wield this as like a, a ter- like a, a terrifying thing that's coming so it's an end of anxiety for you it's the beginning of you know maybe us diving into some, another series um and finishing it um you know we've started several but this is the one we started with and we are going to next week cover the final chapter of the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2. Okay. <laughs> you sound like a person defeated. No, I like it. I, I yeah, it's it, it was a thing. We knew it was going to happen. And, we knew it was uh, going to happen sometime. All's well that ends well. So I think it's a perfect, um, perfect place we'll to end We'll see where we go from here. Uh, mm. If I remember correctly, our girl Becca had that mutant baby, mm-hmm. and Edward mm-hmm. was that. That's all I really remember. And she died. Oh, she died at the end of the last one. Okay, I gotta like, so, yeah, I gotta. Okay, she died. They like turned her into a vampire. Remember, and it like ended oh, with her shit. opening that's her right. eyes, and she had the vampire eyes. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're picking it up. We're, we're picking, picking it up. up. Um, thank you guys for listening to us chat about the apartment. If you can, um, we, and you haven't yet, we definitely recommend you go and watch it. It's an incredible movie. Um, super fun to watch. And we had a great time talking about it with you. If you guys want to continue to check in with us during the week, you can follow us on social media. We are on the Instagram and the Facebook at Movies We Missed. And, you know, we welcome any DMs or comments that you guys have, um, as long as they are, as we like to say, compliments only. Um, We love you guys. We appreciate you. We think you're all fucking sexy as hell. And we will see you next week for The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2.
We did it, kiddo.